Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Bible Study Podcast. I am your host, Phil Shiroki, and today we are going to continue our look at the glory of God. Uh, the first part of this two-parter, we looked at the glory of God as revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. Um, absolutely amazing. The revelation of God. I mean, <laughs> the fact that He left heaven and became 100% man while being also 100% God is absolutely mind-blowing. But um, it's just the goodness of of God and the glory that he deserves, that he represents, and that he wishes to share with us. So he shows us through his son and through his word, his living word, as well as his written word, which is what we're going to get into now. We're going to conclude this look at the glory of God. We're going to start in the book of Psalms, move over to the book of Isaiah, and then finish up again we're going to flip over to the book of philippians so without any further ado let's take a look at the glory of god part two Alrighty, and like i said we're going to start and we're going to start and conclude our look here at the glory of god in the book of psalms we're going to look at chapter 19 verse 1 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So, looking at the note down here, excuse me, for that verse, it says, The firmament is the stretched out expanse of the sky. So, the heavens declare the glory of God. Just the very physical world that we see around us in itself is the testimony to the glory of God, our creator. He created us, but before he created us, he created this world, the universe. So I don't know if you're familiar, but um, the universe is pretty big. Actually, it's huge. It is so big that we have to measure distance in, and actually we measure, well, distance and time, space and time are kind of combined into one, the space-time continuum. I'm a huge astronomy nerd. I love it. Not astrology, astronomy. And I absolutely, since I was young, I believe... I believe it's the Holy Spirit that's always lived inside of me. I I became a Christian. I got saved at five years old. I feel like I've never walked this earth one day since then without Jesus Christ in my life. And I can say thank God for that. Um, He's taken me through some times that, wow, I mean, excuse me. I could definitely write a book someday about my life experiences. But getting back to just the huge expanse of the universe we measure it in light years. That means we measure the amount of time it takes light to travel in one year. Now, light travels at approximately, let's say, just for the sake of our conversation, I know these numbers aren't exact, so just relax, but let's say light travels at about 
225,000 miles per hour. So that number in itself is mind-blowing. Then you're going to get into something called light years, which means we measure distance by the amount of time it takes that light to travel in one year. So that light traveling at 225,000 miles an hour in one year, that measurement is what we measure distance in space. So when someone says, oh, it's only, you know, 14,000 light years away, that number in itself is so big that you can't even fathom it. And that's just traveling within our own solar system. So once you get past light years, we get into other units of measurement. I have, honestly, I haven't studied astronomy or really looked at it in a while, but there's something called parsecs, which is another unit of measurement that astronomers use to just measure distance and time of how long it would take people to travel. And this is why, you know, it's literally... I mean, it's impossible for us to even fathom traveling beyond, say, Mars. <laughs> the human body, I have done, I do clearly remember these studies. The human body can't, so they say, you know, we're, we're trying to send people to Mars right now on December 18, 2020. That's been a conversation they've been having for years and years. Supposedly, they're planning on doing that. They call it a death mission in a sense because they do recognize and acknowledge that the first people that do go to Mars, it's going to be a one-way trip. You're not coming back. One, the distance it takes. But two, the radiation that is going to be exposed from that the elements of space. So right now, we don't have any materials that can protect the human body from the radiation of the sun our star that we all rotate around, the human body is going to be depleted. It's going to be just not even mentioning the fact that it's going to be not subject to gravity, which if you're familiar with this at all, if you ever look at, you know, the International Space Station and things like that, you'll see that they exercise and work out. They need to do that because they will be emaciated. They, they will lose all of their muscular mass and their litter. It's beautiful. If you really look at it, what it shows and says is the earth was created for us to live on for a reason. Um, we are not meant to travel off of the earth because what happens is our bodies break down very quickly. Um, it, it is un. It's impossible to, this is why they talk about wormholes, for example, which this is all theoretical astrophysics, quantum physics, very fun conversations to have, but you might as well be talking about, um, you know, just the ludicrous ideas that some theoretical physicists have the multiverses, you know, the idea of um, parallel universes. Look, forget parallel universes. Why don't we just figure out our own universe first? Um, you know, which they're trying to do, which I know where our universe came from, our creator God, but you know, science is obviously rejects the idea of God and creation. So they have to make up a nice fairy tale. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, that's what they would call our, our story of creation, but 
let's just move on past the, the differences in opinion and theology and just go to the fact that they have a lot of theories out there as far as where we came from and ways to travel. One of them being, again, wormholes, which is the idea of bending <laughs> the foolishness of this. I mean, the, the amount of energy that the, that is needed and required to do these things, bending time and space to make it more uh, of a shorter distance, if you will. So if you take a piece of paper, for example, and you draw two points on it, that's the straightest, you know, the quickest way to those points is a straight line. But if you take that piece of paper and fold it in half to where those two points are very close together, the idea is with that wormhole that you would have time and space be somehow distorted to where you could travel through these <laughs> wormholes. I mean, people have been watching way too much Star Trek and Star Wars, I'm sorry. And taken way too many drugs for the past 40 or 50 years because the idea again nuclear energy is nothing compared to what this stuff requires and the idea that we can get any greater than splitting atoms well the uh, last i checked that's pretty much the smallest thing we have um you know that's known and uh, we're we're talking about you know uh, uh, you could get into all kinds of stuff it, again it's a lot of science is laughable once you have a comprehension of where it all really came from but um it's sad too because these people are actually hanging their hats on dying on hills for things that frankly are just ridiculous for the most part but point being if you look at the great expanse that was the creation of God the creator. It's absolutely incredible, and it speaks to the heavens that declare the glory of God. And then my Bible here has a cool side note, and there's a little different, a little different interpretation of the second part of this opening. Uh, again, chapter one or chapter nineteen, verse one of the Psalms, where it says, "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse." of heaven shows his or the work of his hands. So just again, the glory of God is displayed right there in space and time and this huge universe that, you know, <laughs> the idea, uh, the ridiculousness of the Big Bang, I mean, uh, the 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 foolishness and the foolhardiness of believing in that is just ridiculous it takes it takes blind faith the irony is this it takes blind faith to believe in the big bang to begin with because it's scientifically impossible for something to come from nothing yet and I've studied, and if you look at the Big Bang and you look at how they break down the first increments of time, they have taken a second and broken it down into billions of pieces. And you talk about, they are so desperate to try to prove the Big Bang. And I, I can look into this. I might do an astronomy special because I did. Real, I was really into it at a, at a point. And I, I, you know, how how the universe works on Science Channel is one of my favorite shows. Um, but if you look, I, I forget how it what it, what they're called. But 
they've taken the scale of a second and literally broken it down to, if not millions, billions of parts just to try to make sense of the Big Bang. So it's not as simple as saying, you know, snap your fingers and all of a sudden everything happened. What science is at the point of doing now is they break down the first, I'll just take the first second of time. They've broken it down into increments in the millions, if not billions, <laughs> to try to explain how, quote unquote, something can come from nothing. And I hate to rain on your parade, but it's simply explained by God, the creator, speaking it into existence, his mighty hands creating all that you see around us. And yes, believe it or not, we, the human race, are the center of the universe. It's that simple. It's that beautiful. We are made in the image of God. We are his loved creation loved so much that he sent his only son here. His son stepped down from heaven to be our sacrifice, our substitute lamb for the sin and the evil that's in this world, going all the way back to the creation in Genesis. When man fell in the garden due to the temptation of Satan, where God said right then, you have bruised, you will bruise his heel being Jesus's, but Jesus will crush your head, the serpent's head being the head of Satan. That's exactly what he did. What an amazing plan of redemption he had for us when he sent. Uh, you talk about coming out of left field. You talk about Satan probably shaking his boots when he realized and saw Jesus for the first time on this earth as a man, the, the, it's incomprehensible. I mean, you see the transfiguration on the mount when Jesus showed up with Moses and Elijah, when Jesus was shown in all his glory. I mean, the, it's mind-blowing, the fact of what God did and Jesus, the beautiful I just, it, it's, it's, I cannot have, I have no words to just describe the awe, the amazing awe that I have when I really think about that redemptive plan and to think that God, he foreknew all this too. I mean, that's the mind blowing part. God, of course, knew man was going to fall. Of course, knew he was going to send his son, Jesus, knowing he was going to be that sacrifice. But he did it all. It all played out. And it's all going to play out, too. It's not over. <laughs> God's far from dead. And it, <laughs> trust me, we are in the age of the church right now. We are in the last days. We are in. We had the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came on this earth. These are the last days before the second coming of Jesus Christ and the glory of God will be revealed soon enough when he returns. And I look forward to that. I open my arms and welcome it. But I also, every day the Lord tarries is another day we can share the love of God, live for God, be secure in knowing that it's not anything we do, but it's what he did for us that gives us that security. It's the grace of God that gives us that blanket to walk this earth and to know 
that no matter what we do, we are saved by grace, by the redemption of Jesus Christ. It is not to be abused, not to be you know, taken for granted, and any true Christian full of the Holy Spirit would never do that. So anytime you see somebody calling themselves a Christian but not following the commandments of Christ and not falling on their face when they sin and realizing it's wrong and looking for a place and the strength to resist that temptation next time it comes along, they're they're liars, you know. Don't believe them because they they're not telling the truth and they're counterfeits. So Let's go, and anyone calling themselves a Christian that preaches any other gospel than what you read in the Word of God, they are liars. They are absolute liars, universalists, this emergent church, these leftist, liberal, you know, scholars that want to take parts of the Bible out, that want to change the Bible, that want to change what the Bible says, what the Word <laughs> The Bible is a living word of God. The minute you start messing with that, <laughs> you are setting yourself for judgment that you you owe and wrath that you do not want any part of. But if you want to fit in with the world, if you think the world and the and the word of God can somehow coexist, they can't. They're not meant to. The word of God, Jesus himself said, "I come I come as a as a a, a sword." I come, I separate people, not out of hate, but out of love and out of the fact that some will hear his voice and respond and others will not. And other and that is where the division comes in. There, there, there is no hatred in Jesus or in God, but there is a separation of the sheep, God's flock and the goats. Those who have chosen to live their own life and who follow the ways of the world, they cannot, they do not mix. So again, anyone calling themselves a Christian who preaches anything other than what is in this Bible, what is in the living word of God, the true, pure gospel, they are liars. They are, they're, they're going to have their day of judgment just like everybody else and God, God help them. That's all I can say. All right, let's get into, so that was our look at Psalm chapter 19, verse one. Now we are going to get into Isaiah chapter 60, verses one and two, where we have, again, we're looking at the glory of God. And this has another definition of glory. And um, here we go. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. So let's look at the note there for verses 1. While these glowing prophetic promises of restoration will bring hope to Israel in captivity, the fullest unfolding is messianic and eschatological. So basically that's just saying that, um, you know, the Lord will be revealed 
and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. That word glory that's used there is kavbad. So chabad. It's it's a Jewish word. It's a Hebrew word, I believe. I cannot pronounce it correctly. Excuse me. Spelled C-H-A-B-O-D. And its meaning, which is more important that we want to look at here, is weightiness. That which is substantial or heavy. Glory, honor, splendor, power, wealth, authority, magnificence, fame, dignity, riches, and excellency. The root of Chabad is Chabad, to be heavy, glorious, notable, or to be renowned. In the Old Testament, heaviness represented honor and substance while lightness was equated with vanity, instability, temporariness, and emptiness. Chabad is God's glory, not only his honor, renown, and majesty, but also his visible splendor, which filled Solomon's temple and will someday fill the earth. Amen. From Chabad are derived the names Josabed, Yahweh is glory, and Ichabod, where is the glory? So again, I mean, the glory of God, it literally is weightiness. It's um, substantial, heavy, honor, splendor. It Those words just used to describe God are just, they're absolutely perfect because that's who he is. His glory is it, it is substantive. It, it, it is heavy. When you are in the presence of God and his glory is palpable, is actually, you can spiritually and almost physically feel it sometimes when you're just in different times of worship or prayer or whatever it may be. What an amazing heaviness in a good way, not a darkness, thank God, not a dark heaviness, but a good weightiness that we feel when that glory of God is present among us. That's very, very good stuff. Absolutely incredible. So let's finish up this look here at the glory of God in Philippians chapter two. We're going to look at verses five to 11. And it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the even the death of the cross therefore god also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I I just 
I can't even add to that. I love that verse. I absolutely love just knowing that someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Sometimes, you know, back, I used to think of that, uh, honestly, more in my legalistic days. Um, you know, the first couple of years I was um, caught up in the, that brief moment of legalism. Um, it almost used to be something where I'd say, well, someday every knee will bow and Tom confess, you know, Jesus Christ is Lord. Almost in a, an, an accusatory way, but knowing how God truly is and his true nature just knowing the beauty of someday that every knee is going to bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I see it in a total positive light now, that verse. I see it in a way of just acknowledging who Jesus is and ultimately the glory of the Father being shown right through the Son. It's unbelievable stuff. So let's look at the notes here in my Spirit-Filled Life, New King James Version Bible. For Philippians chapter 2, again, verses 5 to 11, Paul uses the example of Christ to enforce an appeal for unselfishness. As Christ willingly laid aside his heavenly glory to come to earth and die, we should be willing to look beyond our own interests for the sake of others. Although his purpose is to strengthen his exhortation rather than to establish doctrine, Paul here presents one of the greatest statements in the New Testament concerning the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Then looking at that note, um, when it says, who being in the form of God, form of God, the reference is not to the physical shape of Christ, but to his divine essence, a quality that is unchangeable equal with God refers to the mode of Christ's existence. Christ shared in the glories and prerogatives of deity, but did not regard the circumstances of his existence as something to be jealously retained. Rather, he willingly relinquished his glory when he came to earth, though retaining his deity. Awesome stuff. Great note there. I mean, that's a great picture of, again, relinquishing his glory when he came to earth, though retaining his deity. So although he is the glory of the Father, and he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, which is just mind-blowing and amazing to think about that picture of the triune Godhead just there all together. Wow. Well, the Holy Spirit's here on earth, but I mean, um, as he's a spirit, as he's interdimensional and I'm the present and I'm the potent, he's all places at all times, which <laughs> I'm getting into thoughts and theology that I just can't even comprehend. I don't even understand it, but it's just amazing. You know, the fact that again, Jesus was 100% man, yet 100% God deity is just mind-blowing. And then looking at the note here for verse 7, the reality of the incarnation is expressed in the complete self-renunciation of Christ as he made himself of no reputation. He veiled the manifestations of deity and assumed real humanity. 
likeness suggests that Jesus was really a man, but not merely a man. His humanity was genuine, yet his being was still divine. It's just incredible to think of Jesus being that, just that dual divine deity as well as fleshly man. I mean, the amazing part of the whole redemption story and what God did for us is the fact that Jesus was 100%. He was the God-man. And that's not to be taken lightly or overlooked. Um, picking up here, last couple notes for verses 9 and 11 and or 10 and 11. Excuse me. The exaltation of Christ is in consequence of his redemptive work. He now has a higher state of glory than before his incarnation. Christ's exaltation is absolute. His lordship is universal. I mean, that right there is just absolutely amazing. The fact that, you know, he was the son of God, but now that he came and fulfilled his purpose on this earth, he's actually exalted more so than he was before. I don't understand that, frankly. I, I I grasp to understand the whole relationship between the father and the son, especially. Um, that's something that just throws my mind and throws my my um my thoughts through a real loop. But what an incredible thing to really just have a little bit of insight into the fact that again, let's read that. Therefore God also was highly had excuse me. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So there's something, Jesus's accomplishment on this earth, you know, the way we earn crowns of our works, I guess, um, although we're so unworthy of any of it because it's nothing we're doing. It's all him working through us to begin with, but he's going to reward us someday for you know, carrying out those things, I guess you could say, but the fact that he now has a name above all names and rightfully so, uh, it's just incredible. And that, that term highly exalted, it means from Hooper over and Hoopsu to lift up. Thus the word suggests an exaltation to the highest position an elevation above all others. The context contrasts humiliation and resulting honors. Jesus's obedience to death is followed by a super exalted position of honor and glory. Uh, just, it's incredible. And then this kingdom dynamic here, uh, four verses nine through 11 for Philippians chapter two. Faith exalting Jesus' lordship, faith's confession. Scholars note that the word confess means to acknowledge openly and joyfully, to celebrate and give praise. This eloquently and beautifully stated text is a great point of acknowledgement for all who would learn the power of faith's confession. The exalting and honoring of our Lord Jesus Christ is our fountainhead of power in, in applying faith. The Father honors him first, then those who confess his Son as well. 
all humans, angels, and demon spirits will ultimately bow the knee to Jesus, rendering complete and final homage. That confession of every tongue will one day be heard by every ear as he receives ultimate and complete rule. But until that day, our confession of Jesus Christ as Lord invites and receives his presence and power over all evil whenever we face it now. And as we declare his lordship in faith, his rule enters those settings and circumstances today. Amen. That's our look at the first look, quick look at the glory of God. And I love that closing part right there, where again, it says right now, our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord has dominion essentially, <clears throat> excuse me, over everything. So just as powerful as that moment's going to be when every knee bows, angels, humans, demons, and tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, I can just picture that in my head and I hear it. It is going to be deafening, deafening when that event happens. It is going to be so loud. It's going to be not in English, not in a spoken worldly language, but it's going to be in a heavenly spiritual realm in which we can't even fathom or comprehend right now. But I can envision this moment and he is going to receive the glory of just who he is. And it's, it's mind blowing. It's humbling. I thank you, Lord, for calling me out of this world, out of the darkness that I was in and into your light. And I just pray that I, I just run the race and just please you always, Lord, and serve you. And I thank you. And we should be thankful and grateful for the fact that we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and frankly, just that we respond to his calling and he fills us with his Holy Spirit to walk out his purposes for our lives. So that concludes uh, part two of our look at the glory of God. God bless and have a great day.